From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media, LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. On today's show, we explore the intersection of public policy, environmental policy, and faith. When we talk to the Reverend Brian Souter, he's the executive director of Faith in Place, a nonprofit that seeks to empower people in Illinois to care for the earth and our shared environment from a faith perspective. Stay tuned. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with the Reverend Brian Souter. He's President and Executive Director of Faith in Place. It's an organization that empowers Illinois people of all faiths to be leaders in caring for the earth, providing resources to educate, connect, and advocate for healthier communities. Since 1999, Faith in Place has worked with over 1,000 houses of worship throughout Illinois to protect common land, air, and water resources. With outreach staff working across the state and offices located in Chicago, Lake County, and Central Illinois, Faith in Place inspires faithful people to care for the earth through four program areas, energy and climate change, sustainable food and land use, water preservation, and advocacy. Reverend Brian Souter, welcome to Things Not Seen. It's a pleasure to be on the show. So I am very interested in what you are doing because it seems like you are a nonprofit that is trying to directly advocate for public policy. Is that a, a fair characterization of what Faith in Place does? Yeah, we do a number of things, one, one of which is uh, educating our faith partners on what policies will impact their communities. But it always starts at the local level, within the neighborhood. We work alongside our faith partners to help them build climate resiliency, to help them overcome air pollution, help them overcome basement flooding and stormwater uh, management, and help them increase access to local food and open space. So it's a, we, we provide a menu of programs as we work alongside our faith partners and as they direct us on the needs that they have. You, you mentioned basement flooding. I, is that a problem? What What is it about basements? Why Why would they flood? Yeah, so it is a big problem, particularly in economically disadvantaged communities where the infrastructure can't handle, you know, heavy rain events. So it rains heavy. The uh, combined stormwater sewer system becomes overwhelmed, and that water has to go somewhere, and so it backs up into people's basements. In, in communities that don't have that infrastructure to handle that. So this is a, a very serious problem. It's a it's a justice problem. It's a problem that we think the faith community needs to lead on. And so we work alongside our faith partners, whether they're churches, mosques, temples, synagogues, whoever they may be in these communities, to do stormwater management plans. Now, this can be rain barrels, rain gardens, you know, bioswales, but we'll bring some expertise to walk alongside that faith community to help capture the stormwater when, it, when it's raining during that event, to hold it, to keep it out of the combined sewer uh, stormwater system, and that way preventing some flooding that happens in those communities. Now, I, I'm just I'm thinking about the fact that within the Christian narrative, flooding plays a big role at certain points. It's, it's interesting that, that this brings together the very practical and the very biblical. And so I guess I'm wondering, within your organization, do you reflect upon that spiritual aspect of it? Do you think about things like the story of Noah and the flood as you're thinking about this public policy work, or are the two more separate? You know, I think it's, it's um, dependent on who we're working with. So I can tell you one story. We're working with um, uh, United Methodist Church in Pullman, Greenstone United Methodist Church, and we did a rain garden project with them. In part, in, in doing that rain garden project, I think Pastor Mason there did a lot of theological reflecting on what this meant. But it was interesting that most of it was on how uh, getting outside, getting outside of the four walls of worship, helped connect that church to their local community. And the way that happened is we also deployed uh, hundred rain barrels within the community around that church 
and the rain garden. You use that rain garden. The rain garden, if, if people don't know, is, is simply you take the downspout from your, you know, from the church's rooftop, and you redirect it into a garden, a garden where you plant native plants that can hold that water, that have deep roots, uh, that that are beautiful, that are native to the habitat of Illinois. And that rain garden, you know, holds that water and keeps it out of the storm water system uh, during that rain event. And then rain barrels are the same thing. You put a 55-gallon barrel on the gutter system, and so the collection you can use that to water your plants. So in doing that, this rain garden, these 100 barrels in the community, people got educated and excited. They got outside. They saw the beautification of their neighborhood. They saw the, the church being relevant to the issue of the day in the community. For, for the first time, a, a long-time gardening club that used to be a part of the church, but 50 years ago they split, and they're you know no longer part of the church. This was the first time they came back together and, and started working together as a community. So I think that that tends to be more of the focus. That's deeply theological, of course, but it's it's more of the community connections and the support of one another and the dealing of pressing issues that's really the exciting part um, from an ethical theological lens. Now, w- would you say that that's a fair characterization of how you measure your impact as an organization, whether or not the community is coming together, whether or not they are there are bridges being built from pockets of the community that haven't talked to one another in a while? Are, are those some of the, of the metrics? And if if those aren't the only metrics, what other metrics are you using to measure your impact in communities? You know, in each of our program areas, so from energy and climate to water preservation, the sustainable food and land use to advocacy, we do have a number of metrics in each of those program areas that we monitor, measure, set baselines, and then set goals on top of that. In the water program, I wish it's not quite, you know, metrics aren't quite as beautiful as what you just outlined, David, as far as, you know, um, these metrics are how many gallons, you know, is purely how many gallons through our efforts that we keep out of the stormwater system in this calendar year. Uh, so, for example, in 2016, through our five rain gardens, 500 installed and maintained rain barrels at residential homes, we can, we can safely assume we prevented 1.6 million gallons of water. So next year we can set, you know, a new goal. We know what we did this year. We can see what worked best, how our staff time was best spent, ultimately to prevent, you know, our vision is to prevent basement flooding um, and to build climate resiliency in the neighborhood. So those metrics really speak well to that. You're talking about a, a deeper layer of, you know, how do you measure that a community came together in a new, fresh, organic, inspirational sort of way. We don't have anything as sophisticated as measuring that other than the personal testimonies that we get back. And, of course, we love to capture those to, to tell those stories like I'm telling you now. Um, but that's a little beyond the sort of metrics that we tend to use in this non-for-profit management strategy. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with the Reverend Brian Souter. He's the president and executive director of the organization Faith in Place. It's a, an organization that works across Illinois to empower people of all faiths to be leaders in caring for the earth, providing resources to educate, connect, and advocate for healthier communities. So I just a moment ago read part of your mission statement when we talk about healthier communities, I think that listeners might have a variety of ways that they would define what healthier means in that statement. But when you think about making communities healthier, help us and help our listeners understand how faith in place sees that process. What's the goal? What does it look like when a community is healthier in your work? Yeah, so to think about healthy communities, you have to identify areas where there isn't health. And so there's, there's kind of some key areas that we've identified that we're working on, you know, alongside our faith partners to accomplish. So you look at Illinois broadly, 6.7 million Illinoisans, according to the American Lung Association, live in areas where there's unhealthy levels of air to breathe. Now, this is caused by uh, a coal plant in the community or a toxic waste site in the community. So that's, that's quite a staggering number. 6.7 million Illinoisans live in neighborhoods where the, the air is just at an unhealthy level uh, to breathe, and so we we have programming that to walk alongside our faith communities to address that issue. And by addressing uh, the level of of healthy air to breathe, we address uh, creating healthier communities and partnerships. Same, we already talked about the basement flooding that happens because of infrastructure needs in communities 
and they have disproportionately suffered from lack of stormwater management and increased number of, of insurance claims and, and incidences of basements flooding and sewers backing up into homes. Same with our, our food and sustainable land use. We identified the problem. Many communities in Illinois don't have access to open space, don't have access to, to local, fresh, healthy food. And so we're working alongside our faith partners to increase the access to local food through vegetable gardening, increasing the access to open space by doing some creative programming around why we get outdoors and how we can do habitat restoration. So that's how we're working with our faith communities for uh, a healthier community in this realm of where environments um, and faith intersect. Now, when I, t- when I hear you giving that answer, um, I know that some of my listeners will push back and say, wow, it sounds like you're advocating, because you mentioned a coal plant, regulation. It sounds like you're advocating job-killing measures that, that put restrictions on business. And some listeners would, would argue the real health we need to be looking for in communities is baseline economic health, making sure that there are good industries and good jobs. How would you counter that, or how would you speak to that sort of criticism? Yeah, I think the first thing I would do is is buy that person a cup of coffee. I, someone with that uh, viewpoint, I think, is is awesome, and we need to talk that through. Because I don't think it's a it's a binary issue. I, I don't think by creating healthy communities we have to give up jobs. We do advocate for public policy uh, as we're able. Um, public policy that that builds the green economy while bringing those jobs back to the communities that need them most. Pope Francis talked about this in his recent encyclical on care for our common home, how uh, those who suffer most from our environmental degradation um, are those who are least responsible for it, and, and often are in communities that suffer disproportionately from air pollution and these problems that I've outlined. Well, we believe as people of faith that we can build a green economy, create access to energy efficiency jobs, wind jobs, solar jobs, manufacturing jobs for those who are in communities who do suffer disproportionately from our environmental degradation. And thereby we're creating a robust economy, we're creating access to jobs and, and building that forward. Now let me give a concrete example because that sound, that maybe sounds nice. Uh, but how does that happen in our public policy stances? What we do as a faith community, as clergy, is we say, look, we have a, a criminal justice issue here in our communities. We see unprecedented amounts, particularly of African-American men, going into the prison system. And, and when they come out, they have a high uh, reentry rate, so recidivism rates are high. Why can't we work on the green economy while reducing recidivism rates? So... When someone comes out of jail, they are prioritized in public policy for getting the training they need to learn an energy efficiency job, to learn a solar installation job, to learn a clean energy manufacturing job, and to get employed and, and even incentivize the companies that are employing to, to hire people with records, to hire uh, people who are highly likely to end up in the prison system. And thereby we're working on criminal justice reform, while building a just economy, while reducing recidivism rates, while making sure that that basic healthy measure of access to a job and communities that need the most are met. Does that make sense? It makes good sense. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with Reverend Brian Souter. He's president and executive director of Faith in Place, an organization that empowers Illinois people of all faiths to be leaders in caring for the earth by providing resources to educate, connect, and advocate for healthier communities. We'll be back in a moment. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with the Reverend Brian Souter. He's President and Executive Director of Faith in Place, which is an organization that works across Illinois to work with people of all faiths to help them be leaders in caring for the earth and the environment, providing resources to educate, connect, and advocate for healthier communities. In your mission statement, you talk about, for Faith in Place, the notion that this works with all faith communities. Now, I'd like to switch gears and just ask you briefly about your own faith background as we move towards a conversation about the different types of faith communities that you work with. So I'm assuming that you are a person of faith, but could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I grew up in a Anabaptist community in central Illinois, uh, Caswell County, Tremont, Illinois, small town, farm community. 
Um, and I'm now a, an ordained Mennonite minister. So I'm a, a practicing Mennonite worship here in Chicago at Chicago Community Mennonite Church. And I'm, I'm very blessed by uh, the Mennonite community. Mennonite Church USA has ordained me to work in the community on environmental justice issues. So that allows me to spend my time working full-time as a community minister, running Faith in Place, and implementing our programs here across the state. Uh, so that's, that's, that's a real quick story of, of my faith background and journey to where I am today. Well, and if, if someone is unfamiliar with who the Mennonites are, and when you use the term Anabaptist, what that means, could you give us just a quick pass, what's an Anabaptist, and what does it mean for a person to be a Mennonite? Yeah, so Anabaptism had its start in the 1530s. You, you had something known as, after the Re- Reformation, something known as the Radical Reformation. So some students were reading the Bible, you know, for the first time in their own language, and started to realize, hey, I think we need to baptize each other as adults. Uh, And this was the beginning of believer's baptism. So these students did a really radical thing at the time. If you can imagine this, they started baptizing each other as adults. And this was was, uh, radical because there was no separation between church and state at the time, and so they were arguing in front of city council whether or not it was the right thing to do to baptize each other as adults. And that's where this term Anabaptism came from. Uh, Anna meaning rebaptizer. And it was a pejorative term at the time. There was heavy persecution both by other Christians and the state at the time of persecuting people who would baptize each other again. Uh, and they, often they would drown. There's an awful history there. But out of that grew the Anabaptist movement where you have Mennonites, the, the Amish tradition comes from that, Quakers, even Baptists, much of our, our Protestant faith traditions find their roots in that radical reformation that happened in the 1530s. Today, the the Mennonite Church still stands on these beliefs of separation of church and state, the pillar of uh, believers' baptism. There's a heavy emphasis on peacemaking and nonviolence coming out of that, simply because our history is rooted in seeing some violent actions taken against us and persecution that happened that caused migration of our faith. Um, are generations of faith that have been passed down. So there's this heavy emphasis on Jesus the peacemaker and this emphasis on nonviolence and working for nonviolence in our world around us. Uh, and also the heavy emphasis on community. Uh, uh, a Mennonite church is a church that believes in potlucks. It's a church that believes in four-part singing. You know, the moment you create in community is much more beautiful than the moment you can create on your own. So a he- heavy reliance on worshiping together uh, helping each other, uh, serving together, and changing the world um, in community. And this this is a, a Christian orientation, but my understanding is that Faith in Place, w- would Faith in Place be properly characterized as a Christian organization or as an interfaith organization? How do you consider yourselves internally? Yeah, we consider ourselves an interfaith organization. So while I work here as a Mennonite minister, I work alongside uh, uh, others from different faith traditions, whether they're Jewish, whether they're Baha'i, whether they're Protestant, whether they're Catholic, uh, whether they're Potawatomi. Um, so we work broadly both at the staff level, the board level, and then with our, with our audience, the faith community. You know, we work with synagogues, we work with temples, we work with mosques, um, we work with all. And the way that that works is that we, we have a principle that we call the messenger matters. And so when we hire up our organizing staff, we hire from within communities where where these um, injustices are occurring, uh, someone of faith who's respected broadly from the interfaith community, and that person works alongside those faith partners to help empower them to live out their faith even more fully into the place that's around them. So the way that works is if we're working with a synagogue, the first thing we'll do is, is seek three or four people within the synagogue who really understand how their Jewish faith tradition helps inform good ecological practice. I'm speaking as one example here. And then we will empower that green team, we call it. It's a green team from within the community, hyper-local, who will then help green up their sanctuary, green up their faith community from their faith perspective and help do the education. Our staff will provide coaching. Our staff will provide resources and and, and ideas and, and take them along in that journey. But it really becomes... Very much the messenger matters. It's a localized 
model that's, that's an organizational model that allows the empowerment of our faith communities regardless what faith tradition they come from. So it, it sounds as if you are, you're trying to find or you believe that there is a common core or a common theological ground that is within and interpenetrating all these different faith traditions that says basically the same thing, that the, that the earth should be cared for, that collective action is preferable to individual action. Am I hearing that correctly in what you're saying? Yeah, I think we, we often talk about the shared moral obligation that we have to take care of our earth and to love one another and to love those around us. And so that, that really informs all of the work that we do. So do you get much pushback against that? Do you get, do you get certain religious communities that, that resist that kind of characterization, either in terms of an, you as an outsider speaking about their tradition or the notion that somehow they have commonalities with other religious traditions? Or, or is, this, is this a much more kind of uh, open and mutual sort of approach? So by and large, it's an open and mutual approach. It's, we find much more that our faith communities are looking for, they see the problem, they see the scale of our environmental issues facing uh, our country, facing our world, facing our neighborhoods, and, and they're just looking for ways to engage. And that's, that's where Faith in Place really shines. When a faith community is looking to turn apathy into action, that's the moment where Faith in Place can come in with this, this very localized um, organizing model and help really turn you know, changing out a few light bulbs to solar panels from, uh, you know, putting in a, wa- a faucet aerator on the, on the water to conserve a little water to having a rain garden in the community, preventing millions of gallons of water into the storm system. Or, you know, doing some education in the Sunday school class or the educational curriculum around a tomato plant to then having a large scale five acre CSA farm with, with full time farmers. So we really shine partnering alongside a faith community that's really looking to make a difference and a positive impact in the community. Now, are there faith congregations across Illinois who aren't quite there yet? Sure, they are, but they aren't really... We focus much of our energy, our staff, our resources into those many, many faith communities who are looking to engage, looking to make a difference, and that's where we can really provide some resources to help. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with the Reverend Brian Souter. He's the president and executive director of the organization Faith in Place. It's a, an organization that works across Illinois to empower people of all faiths to be leaders in caring for the earth, providing resources to educate, connect, and advocate for healthier communities. So when we think about the kind of work that you're doing and the ways that you're focusing... It's clear that there's a narrative there, that there's a narrative that you find in religious traditions, probably a narrative that you find in scripture, and it's a narrative of stewardship. But in our country right now, in our culture right now, there is a very strong counter-narrative. And we're recording this interview uh, just a few days after the presidential election. And so we, we now have a president in Donald Trump who in many ways embodies this counter-narrative, uh, a notion that we should not restrict industry, uh, we should not regulate industry, instead we should let industry thrive uh, with the notion that the rising tide will lift all boats and will solve the environmental problems, or there's simply an, uh, a willingness to ignore the impact of things like climate change. How does an organization like Faith in Place speak into that resistant narrative? How does an organization like Faith in Place take a worldview that seems to counter the very basic premises that you're operating from and and have actual dialogue? How does that work? Yeah, I, I, David, I think this is where the faith communities really shine. We are um, a gathering place of people, and we, we are, you know, we are brightest when we lead the way, when we encourage others to follow, follow on the long path towards justice, um, keeping that as our focus, keeping that prophetic voice. And, and that's what faith, faith in Place really does. We believe that there are very pressing problems right now in our communities that are preventing health and that we can work alongside each other to bring about justice. Sometimes it feels like, you know, that that, path is really hard and that path is really long and that there's there's broader cultural resistance to that 
But I think, you know, each of us as, I know as myself as clergy and each of us as faithful people really have to ask that question, how are we making a difference today to serve those around us to prevent these injustices from happening and providing solutions um, for them? And, and the beautiful thing about our faith community is that we are already set up to address injustice. This is why we exist. We're set up to live out our prayers and our reliance and a greater love to do that together. Um, so for me in this moment... I feel like it's a time to double down for love. It's a time to double down for community. It's a time to double down for faith and to organize together for our health and our environment to create resiliency within our neighborhoods for climate justice, for environmental justice, and to do that together. We, we can do that regardless of what's happening on the, the national scale or on the world stage at this moment in time. We, we have a lot, of, a lot of opportunities to build justice right where we're at at this moment. So a lot of what you do is is hyper local. You used that phrase earlier, and you are bringing leaders out of congregations and out of faith communities into a, a conversational space, and you're training them to then and equipping them to then go back into their communities and basically be and correct me if this is the wrong term, but sort of agitators and advocates for a certain type of, of environmental justice worldview. Is that a fair characterization of, of the kind of trainings that you do with the green teams? Yeah, and I would say that often our green teams are lay people within the faith community. Often they are the clergy of the faith community, so um, they work within their community to, to get some of these things done. I, I'm a little squeamish at the word agitation because we, we coach our green teams to meet people where they're at and to work to take them a little bit farther. Um, agitation has its place, but often with our green teams, because you're part of a faith community that you've been going to week after week for generations, you know, agitation maybe isn't the right uh, tool to use in that moment. So our green teams really, they start by connecting. And, you know, green is what grandma did. And Grandma really taught us the way, and this is how we can take a step forward in improving our own efforts here in our our house of worship and our own homes that will help us learn more about the injustices that are around us, that will help us take a step towards a solution and help us to, to grow this over time. And, that, and I say that because our green teams, we did a study a couple years, two years ago, on the faith communities who are now our, our shining examples of of congregations that are leading the way for justice. And the common element among those congregations and houses of worship was that they had a green team who started five years ago and meeting monthly for the last five years, and over the course of time have taken progressive baby step after baby step to get to now be in this exemplary congregation. But it didn't happen overnight with one protest. It didn't happen overnight with one agitation. It happened because they showed some love. They put a human face on the work that they were doing, and said, so this is about justice and about love of our neighbor. And they took one step after another to get, you know, to travel that long, long path towards justice. There's a couple things in your answer just now that I want to sort of tease out and highlight. And uh, the first piece is, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like what you are doing is you're bringing people from their context, and you're not trying to map your notion of their problems onto them, but instead you're letting them speak from where they are and what their experience of the environmental impact has been when they come in for these trainings. Is that a fair characterization of your method? Definitely, definitely. And the other, the other principle besides, I mentioned earlier that we operate on this principle that the messenger matters and we equip the right messenger to do the right, uh, talking about an issue and bringing that issue to light. The other principle that we use is, is this notion that it's very important for us to have a menu of programs. If I, can, if I can describe it as a menu, that we have, you know, an energy program, we have a food and land use program, we have a water program, we have an advocacy program. Because if we just did energy, some of our faith communities wouldn't be there. If we just did advocacy, some of our faith communities wouldn't be there. But that way we can use that menu of programs to meet a green team where they're at, help them get in where they fit in initially. Initially, the enthusiasm might be around increasing access to local food by starting a garden. Or maybe it'll be around signing some petitions to our legislators to educate them about environmental justice. Or maybe it'll be changing out a few of those light bulbs. But they have kind of a place to start where there's some initial enthusiasm. They can pick from that menu, do that program, advertise it, 
celebrate it, connect it to their faith tradition, build momentum, invite new people onto the green team. You know, people love to get involved in something that's positive, something that's making a difference, something that's meeting people where they're at and making meaningful change. So that that's the model here. It's 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 not only hyper local, it's not only emphasizing the right messenger, but it's meeting people where they're at and letting them get in where they fit in. And so when this occurs, and and you mentioned the example of of a group that had been meeting for five years and had been gradually sort of moving in in more and more sort of activist directions. Again, if I just want to make sure that this is clear to our listeners. Am I hearing correctly that this is not coming from the Faith in Place central office, okay, now ratchet it up, but instead you, you trust that these local organizations will find their own level with, with, with where they wish to be in terms of the immediate problems that they see now and how best to address those problems. Am I hearing that, that relationship correctly? I think so. You know, we do we do a lot of coaching to those green teams. So we're always there as a resource, right? And so the green teams rely on us for ideas, advice. We'll step in often if we, you know, one of our organizers is working as a assigned coach of a green team, and maybe senses that the green teams getting a little beyond their own faith community. You know, we'll step in a lot and just help them kind of coach them through. Here's how we make change and progress. So we provide a lot of resources to these green teams. We provide a lot of coaching, a lot of education, uh, events. We one one role that we play is by bringing green teams together. You know, green teams spend a lot of time at their own faith community, helping their own faith community uh, get things done. But that can be a long road and it can be a weary road. And so one inspirational thing we do is bring people together, green teams together. We just had a green team summit this September where. A bus came from Champaign-Urbana, a bus came from Waukegan, Illinois, and a whole bunch of people from Chicago. We all gathered at the Field Museum, and we had an inspirational speaker, and then workshops for the green teams. Okay, how do we, you know, where green teams can connect with each other and help share best practices. So so we're almost like a, a, a community facilitator providing resources, providing expertise, providing that local person that's on staff that can help you along to really help make that difference overall. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with the Reverend Brian Souter. He's the President and Executive Director of Faith in Place. That's an organization that empowers Illinois people of all faiths to be leaders in caring for the earth, providing resources to educate, connect, and advocate for healthier communities. Since 1999, Faith in Place has worked with over 1,000 houses of worship throughout Illinois to protect common land, air, and water resources. With outreach staff working across the state and offices located in Chicago, Lake County, and Central Illinois, Faith in Place inspires faithful people to care for the earth throughout their their four program areas, energy and climate change, sustainable food and land use, water preservation, and advocacy. We'll be back in a moment. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. We're speaking today with the Reverend Brian Souter. He's President and Executive Director of the organization Faith in Place. Faith in Place empowers Illinois people of all faiths to be leaders in caring for the earth, providing resources to educate, connect, and advocate for healthier communities. Well, Reverend Souter, so far in the conversation, we've talked a lot about how your program impacts local communities. But I'm also aware that there's a that there's a policy aspect to the work that you do. That that there is work that you do not only on the ground in these local communities, but also with the legislature in Illinois that's located in Springfield. And I wonder if you would talk to us a little bit about what that sort of work is like and what it's like to be a faith focused advocate within the the halls of legislature. Yeah, I, this is an area of passion for me, so I'm, I'm excited, David, to talk to you about this. Uh, a couple of notes of orientation for the listeners. So there's Faith in Place, you know, which you can learn about at faithinplace.org. We do all the education work, that partnership that you just referenced that we've been discussing uh, with the local faith community, helping them green up their houses of worship. There's also a separate organization called the Faith in Place Action Fund, and you can you can Google that at Faith in Place action.org, which is our which is our policy arm. It's it's separate from our 501c3 faith in place. It's our political side of the work that we do. 
That work is chaired by Reverend uh, Dr. Otis Moss III. He's our board chair leading that way. And we uh, are working with our policymakers to help connect the dots between environmentalism, mass incarceration, and a just economy. And so what do we mean by that? We, we are positioning ourselves as clergy and leaders of faith with our, particularly our state legislature in Illinois to help educate our legislators that when we build a green economy, when we bring about those wind turbines and solar panels and energy efficiency and, and manufacturing jobs, we can do that while reducing recidivism rates uh, that that are uh, a huge justice issues in our communities. And, and we know that the best way to reduce recidivism rates is by getting a routine, getting a job when you come out of the prison system and you re-enter into the community. And so we want to make accessible green jobs to people who have records, who are coming back into the community so they can get the training they need to do solar installations, energy efficiency work, uh, wind work, and, and that job can be a great factor in addressing criminal justice reform while growing the green economy, while building a just economy. And we, we're really excited about that. And so we're educating legislators about it. We're advocating for specific provisions in clean energy legislation that's being negotiated actually right now and working on that on a day-by-day basis. So what I've heard in your answer is that, among other things, there is a, a completely separate wing of faith in place that does this kind of adv- advocacy work, and it's separate from the 501c3 nonprofit. Why the firewall between the two? There's a couple of reasons. One is, is uh, I think it's an ethical reason. The, the separate organization allows us to recruit board members who are serving in economically disadvantaged communities, who are serving in communities who suffer disproportionately from environmental injustices. And, and the, the separate organization, you know, there's no, there's no obligation to, to give to be on the board. The reason you're on that board of directors is so that you can help shape the, the clean energy economy in a just way for the future. And so there's a firewall there. Uh, there are limits as a 501c3 of, as faith in place of what, how much lobbying that we can do. Um, and so that this, you know, the separate organization allows us to have unlimited ability to lobby, uh, and to use, use resources in a separate way. Um, so there's just no confusion. The faith in place organization does our great work helping organize a movement, helping, helping get these things done at the local level. And then the, the faith in place action fund allows us to really stand up and say to our policymakers, this is the way we can do this to build justice and to, to overcome uh, some of our problems in the neighborhood. Well, so when when the this other more uh, sort of policy active arm, the faith in place action piece is in motion and is doing things, what have been some of the conversations that have happened at the legislative level? Uh, what what agreements and what resistances has that part of the organization met as it's tried to advocate for these policy areas of environmental regulation, uh, mass incarceration, and just economy? Yeah, you know, when you first uh, start to talk to people about the intersection of environmentalism and mass incarceration, you know, there's almost like a whiplash of the head, like, what What are you talking about? There is no, you know, the, we, we think it's such silos today in our in our policy work and our educational work that at first when you start to think about an integrated sort of approach that is dealing with both of them at the same time, you get a lot of puzzled looks on people's faces, like there is no correlation between mass incarceration and environmentalism. And that's unfortunate. We think that's really unfortunate. And, and we, so we start to make the case, look, we can create the green economy while providing jobs for those who need them most and address both of these issues in an integrated sort of way. And we also think we, we were really bolstered by uh, Pope Francis's encyclical, Laudato Si, on care for our common home. Because in that, Pope Francis, in writing this document, this teaching document for the Catholic Church, he lifted up this idea of an integral ecology, of an integrated ecology of of working on the environmental movement on behalf of those who suffer most from environmental degradation and who are least responsible for it. And so we're just lifting up that work in the policy sphere and helping our legislators think creatively, how do we address these problems that we face in our society 
in this sort of integrated approach, and, and that's, that's really exciting. Some of the most exciting things that I've been working on as a clergy person, I, I think the impact is, is the impact potential is just off the charts, um, and we've, we've had some good success getting it going here this fall. Now, you are a minister, and you work in a, in a faith-focused organization. Do you ever get the chance or the opportunity to be in pulpits and to preach about this? And I'd be very interested, if you are, how do you preach about these sorts of, of focus areas? Yeah, so I, I average about two Sundays a month in the pulpit. That's either at my home uh, community, faith community, or that's in visiting. Many of our faith partners often invite me graciously to come speak and talk about uh, faith in place in our programs, and and so that looks different. You know, it's, it's different from going and talking at a Friday night Shabbat service to preaching at a, on a Sunday morning at a Methodist church. Those opportunities, you know, some ask you to speak for 10 minutes, some ask you to, to preach for 25, and so I really enjoy that part of my work. Um, the message is often tailored to the audience. Most often, I'm, I'm obviously, as a Mennonite minister, most comfortable preaching from a biblical text and, and talking about these issues from a biblical lens. But also I, I'm comfortable in an interfaith setting this, this is saying, this is a Mennonite perspective and speak from my own faith tradition and offer that out to whomever I may be and to invite dialogue around that. And those are really special opportunities that I have as executive director of Faith in Place. And you'd be amazed at the, the hospitality, the enthusiasm that I, that I meet the faith community after faith community who's looking to tackle these problems in creative and innovative sort of ways. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with the Reverend Brian Souter. He's president and executive director of Faith in Place, an organization that empowers Illinois people of all faiths to be leaders in caring for the earth, providing resources to educate, connect, and advocate for healthier communities. I wonder what have been some of the standout experiences for you, positive or negative, that have come when you've brought that message from the pulpit and then someone has come up to you afterwards and said, well, this really this really spoke to me in this way, or someone has come and said, yeah, I really don't agree with what you said about this. You're looking for a tell-all, David. This is, this is great. So I can. it's more easy to tell the positive experiences first. I, I've had some really great experiences, both in Shabbat services on Friday evenings where I've had opportunity to say, here's a Mennonite perspective on Elijah, for example. And that is that is that has been received regardless of where I went, and just a fun, sort of interesting way that, that creates great commentary. You know, I've had comments from, wow, it's, it's really fun to hear an outside perspective on this biblical text, and a very interesting take on, on something that I've heard my whole life and never thought about it in that sort of way which then prompts me to say, oh, how have you thought about it your whole life? And then they'll tell me that, and I'll be like, wow, I've never thought about it that way. So that I really believe interfaith dialogue like that strengthens all of our own faith traditions to be even more so and to understand where our faith traditions come from and how they inform going forward. I feel like I'm a stronger person of faith. I'm a stronger Mennonite Christian, if you will, because I spend time in other faith communities learning from them and taking that back to my own faith tradition. There have been times when I've been in faith communities and people come up to me and say, wow, you are really a preacher. You are really a minister, a Christian minister, and we're not surprised by that. But sometimes that language is a little difficult for us to hear, and, and I always welcome that sort of feedback as well, uh, just to remember who my audience is and and how to do that well. One, one faith community uh, who's, who's fairly, uh, I would say, humanist in his kind of outlook and perspective, and a, and a lot of people are at that faith community who have had really unfortunate uh, instances in their upbringing and are looking to recover from that and grow from that. I've had those faith communities invite me and say, Brian, will you come and preach and provide the meditation uh, at our service, but would you not mention God? Um, would you not, you know, we just want to make sure. And so I'll go and I'll tell inspirational stories about faith in place and the work that our faith partners are doing. And I'm, I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to, to navigate that comfortably and meet people where they're at. Well, when you're doing this, when you're doing this sort of navigation, I and just as you're doing this work generally, I can only imagine that, that, there, are, that there are good days and that there are bad days. 
and I, I guess, and this is something that I do with a lot of my guests. I, I, I ask a question where I say, you know, what is it that that is frustrating to you about your work? But I'm asking that only to let you know that I will then follow up and ask the question, what is it that makes you feel positive about your work? But if you're if you're willing to go to the negative first, what are some of the things that have happened to you in your work at Faith in Place that have been that have been frustrating that have that have made you feel uh, demoralized or made you feel like the struggle is is a is a great struggle. We often have to there are moments in our work where we have to compromise and this is both in the the public policy side of the work but also in this our our dealings and coachings with green teams. There are moments when uh we feel as an organization that there is uh, a vision that we see and that there is a clear step to take to accomplish that vision and and but we just is not it's not attainable in the realistic day by day of the world, and so we have to kind of comp- we have to compromise and take a step towards that vision, but not completely fulfill the vision. And that is always the worst days at Faith and Place. Um, but it's particularly poignant when working on public policy. We want to see 100% clean renewable energy in Illinois, but the legislature just isn't completely there. And so we take a step. You know, we take a step towards that vision, towards that direction but we aren't going to get 100% of what we want. And, and that's, that's part of the being faithful and, and, and taking those steps and being brave um, and, and being willing to compromise. That's always this, this very difficult and very hard uh, to do in our work and often, often very frustrating because uh, it's, it's, um, it's like our politics. It's, it's often divisive and difficult to navigate. So in those moments of divisiveness, uh, when you encounter that, it's clear to me just in in all the answers that you've given that you as a in your comportment you want to emphasize the positive i mean that rings through very clearly uh i'm i'm not a person that comes from that that mindset generally and so i'm i'm deeply curious what is it that keeps you hopeful what is it that keeps you focused on uh, earlier in the conversation you said if if you encountered somebody that was really hostile to your point of view you would want to take them for a cup of coffee that would not be my first reaction in that in that moment where does that come from what is it that keeps you hopeful that keeps you optimistic in in your work yeah i think it's it's my own life story you know growing up in a in a farm community uh our our anabaptist community that we talked about earlier uh, lovely, lovely people, but fairly sheltered. We, you know, there was kind of the world, and then there was us, and we did ourselves our best to protect ourselves from the world. And and in growing through that and meeting people in the world, meeting people different than myself, maybe you could even say meeting the other, you know, that that person that was those people, you know, that you always heard about. I, I have always had in my own experience, um, you know, when the gloves come come down, I guess I should say, when when there's kind of this relaxed and authentic share with me about your story, I want to hear about your story, that empathy, I, I really think that's a beautiful thing and, and can can really help us overcome some of our, our division. But I, I, I think it comes from a theology and a practice that there's a spark of God in each of us, and, and if we just look for it, we can see it in each other. And, and build on that as, as a way to build a bridge ac- across some of these divides that, that seem insurmountable at times. So I, it comes out of, a, a David, a, just my own life experience. Of course it does. And, and just what I've seen um, been some of those beautiful moments of finding the spark of God in the other that I didn't, didn't expect to find. Well, I'm certain that that listeners that have been with us through this conversation have become excited about the work that you're doing at Faith in Place, and and maybe some of them, uh, either here in the Chicago area or around Illinois, have become interested in how they might get involved and and find out more about the kind of work that you're doing. So, what are some steps that a person can take if they've been enlivened by this conversation uh, to get involved in the work of Faith in Place? Yeah, so I'd say a couple of things. One, if you're in Illinois, we have staff, you know, all across Illinois. Look us up at our website, faithandplace.org. Sign up for our newsletter uh, and get connected and, and reach out to us, and we will get you connected with the right staff person to help you and your faith community go further. And then if you're outside Illinois, I have good news, too. Faith and Place is the Illinois affiliate of Interfaith Power and Light. Interfaith Power and Light is a national organization. We are the Illinois affiliate of it. 
there's 39 other state affiliates. So if you're in one of the 40 states that has an Interfaith Power and Light affiliate, there's an opportunity for you to get involved um, in, in a local movement in your state that is working on these types of issues. And, and I know uh, those organizations would be happy to welcome you in and help help get you get you involved, get you in where you fit in, and help move your faith community uh, towards a greener, more just future. Well, Reverend Brian Souter, it's been a joy to speak to you, and I, I thank you for the work that you're doing across Illinois. I know that it's difficult work sometimes, but it's clear that it's work that's very fulfilling to you. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to speak to us today. Thank you, David. It's been my pleasure. We've been speaking today with the Reverend Brian Souter. He's the president and executive director of Faith in Place, an organization that empowers Illinois people of all faiths to be leaders in caring for the earth, providing resources to educate, connect, and advocate for healthier communities. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. We recorded today's show at the studios of the Chicago Sunday Evening Club here in the Chicago Loop. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keeja. David Dalt engineered the show. Kim Tron and David Dalt did the editing. Our staff includes Travis Abels, David J. Dunn, Natasha Alford, and Alexander Badenock. Katie Scroggin is our senior producer. Taylor Gould is our seminary intern. You can follow us on Twitter at Not Seen Radio. Visit us on Facebook to like our page and find out more about upcoming guests. That's facebook.com slash things not seen radio. And you can sign up for our podcast, listen to old shows, and find out more about everything that we do if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us.